Before we begin our study, we'd like to pray. Would you join with me? Baruch Atadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kidshanu B'Misvatav, Vetzivanu La'asok B'Divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want you to take a close look at someone sitting next to you because you might be thinking you're the only one who has problems that you can't fix and sitting right next to you is another person who also has problems that they can't fix. Everyone in this room has problems that we can't fix on our own and we have needs that go beyond the resources that we have. That is a fact of life. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's just the way that life is. In fact, when we're looking in Torah this week, in the Haftorah, the Brit HaRashah, we see that God wants to teach us something. He wants to help us fix what we cannot fix. There are issues in each of our lives that we can't fix. There are people who we know and we care about and there's nothing we can do in our own power with the resources that we have, but nevertheless, God wants to help. Whenever we're reading about lepers in the scriptures as we do this weekend, there's a lot of leprosy in the scriptures this weekend. It's easy for people today just to read fast and say, ah, leprosy, that's not my problem. I've got another problem. And it's easy to be detached from what the scriptures say, to distance ourselves and say, this is about somebody else. This isn't, a, this isn't about my problem. But even if we're not lepers physically, guess what? We're all spiritual lepers. Every one of us has problems that are too big for ourselves. And we have resources that are not big enough. The lepers couldn't help themselves, but God had a plan to help them and he used other people to help the lepers. For instance, the lepers were told to go to the priests. And one of the jobs of the priests was to examine the leper and determine is this a spiritual leprosy that requires a spiritual solution? And is there uncleanness that needs healing? And when the priest identified that, the, the leper would, would go off, and what was the purpose of going off? Was it just to be isolated or rejected or, or put away from society? No, the purpose was to, to go off in order to get clean and to get healed. You see, the other side of the story is not just the diagnostic, diagnostic it's, it's what happens afterwards. When the leper is clean, he comes back to the priest who, who confirms that he's clean and then gives him guidance about one more thing, that it's time now to bring an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. Many times when we have problems we get caught up in the problem and we say, we say to God, why am I having this problem? And even after problems are solved, sometimes all we do is say, why? Why am I going through this? And maybe you can identify with this. Maybe this is what happens with you too. And the lepers in this case are just like the rest of us. The tendency when we make it through a problem is to look back and say, what was that all about? And God wants us to have a specific attitude. 
when you get through your challenge, when you get to the other side, make sure you give thanks. Make sure you tell God thank you. And then tell other people as well. Make that part of your, your everyday lifestyle to tell people and to tell God thank you for any good thing that he did. This morning I was driving over here and I had an experience on the highway, something anybody can identify with, nothing big. I was getting ready to change lanes because the traffic was like going too slow in my lane and I was about to shift into the next lane. And I felt this momentary impulse that I think was from the Lord, don't do it. And I didn't do it, and a split second later, a car that was at the intersection I was passing through that was stopped at the red light at that intersection made a right on red turn and came exactly into the lane I would have been in. And as I avoided that, because my hand was on the wheel and I was poised to turn into that lane, I said to the, I said to the person who couldn't hear me, you just avoided getting hit by me. And I just avoided getting into a crash with you. Thank you, Lord. And I just thank the Lord. So I was glad for that. And then I remembered that when Sandy and I were in Virginia this past weekend for my grandmother's funeral, we were driving down the interstate and there was another moment of just high alertness, I don't know why, but in front of us, cars started crashing into each other and spinning around. And Sandy and I were just looking and we, we were seeing cars, you know, going 60 miles an hour spinning, crashing into the, the median uh, concrete and then bouncing off, tires bursting in front of our eyes, and we're next. And so we just slammed on the brakes. I was driving, I slammed on the brakes, and I felt I should honk my horn. Not for them, for me. So that anybody behind me would like wake up and not run into me. And we were spared ourselves. Sandy and I just sat there as traffic had to come to a complete stop. Three or four lanes of traffic couldn't move. And there were several cars and a tractor trailer truck that had gotten involved in an accident right in front of our eyes. I don't believe anybody was seriously hurt. But you know what? We were rejoicing that we were spared. And thanking the Lord for his protection. Now some people would say, well, I don't, I don't know why he'd protect you and not somebody else. It, maybe they were all spared too. Their cars weren't spared. But maybe they were spared. But I can tell you this, any time there is protection from God, it's worth giving thanks to him. He said to Abraham, I'm your shield. He's Magain Avraham, the shield of Abraham, which means every time he protects us from any attack, we should give thanks. Now maybe you don't give thanks when you're being protected, and I wanna encourage you, give thanks after you're protected. 
Give thanks when you're in the middle of a situation. Give thanks before it's completely resolved while you're going through it because it releases the power of God. Lepers who come to priests have to have something in mind that God could help them. That's the only reason they would go. And when they get the diagnostic, you're unclean. It's, it's not a criticism or a judgment because the priest understands that's a condition God wants to bring you out of. And so the leper goes off, deals with his uncleanness, receives healing from the Lord and comes back and says, look, now look. You know, often we pray for people who are in need, but we never hear from them afterwards. It's much better to hear. It's much better to hear even the steps. Some people are, some believers are very superstitious. You know what I mean by that? They don't want to jinx their good luck. Uh, and I would say, don't, don't be like that. Ask for help, ask for prayer, let other people stand with you in the midst of it. If something doesn't work out and it's disappointing, they can stand with you through that as you get to the next thing. The priest who examined the, the leper was, was there for a purpose, to make sure that God had the last word for that leper. That the leper did not have to stay in his condition, the leper could come out of it and that he could experience the victory and the power of God. It's important when, when we have problems, even when we have uncleanness, that we understand it's not necessarily a permanent condition. We can come to God. And there's a reason for this. God wants us clean. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be complete. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to prosper in body and in spirit. You don't have to pray if it's your will, Lord. You know it's his will. He wants you to prosper. Now, what you'll never know is how many days God has appointed for you and what are some of the challenges that you will go through. But when you're in the middle of challenges, you can understand this. God is always on the side of people who want to come out of uncleanness. You can be sure of that. And the story that we read in the Haftorah this weekend, the story of the Syrian leper, Naaman, really confirms that. Now in the South, here in Florida, you can't say Naaman, it's too difficult, I understand. Down here we say Naaman. Is that right? It's like we say Haman, even though his name is Haman. Boo, yeah. Okay, we're through with Purim, you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. And he came to Elisha, the prophet of Israel, because his problem was too big and his resources were not big enough. But the God of Israel was able to help him. You know why? Because nothing is too difficult for God. The God of Israel used the prophet of Israel to heal Naaman, but it wasn't only the prophet who was used by God. There were several other people who had important roles in the healing. So I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to read a few verses, and, and as we do, I want you to pay attention to the different people who have a role to play, because each of them has a part. 
So starting in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says of Naaman, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. So it's important to get this simple detail because it's very um, sparse wording here. The Syrians are raiding Israel and they've taken captive one young Israeli girl. And she's now a slave and a servant to the family of Naaman, especially to his wife. And it says of this girl, she waited on Naaman's wife. She was a servant to the wife of this leper general from Syria. And she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Isn't that interesting? So different from the way many of us would think. If you were taken captive and you were enslaved, how would you be praying for the people who are now your masters? I, I know most of us, we'd be praying, God, strike them dead. <laughs> Smite them, O Lord. Deliver me from these evildoers. Isn't that how we normally pray? We pray for our good, even at other people's expense sometimes. This woman was different. In fact, the, there are there's some subtle indications in the text that Naaman was a very good person. You know, it's not easy for a leper to become a general. I mean, it's not easy for anybody to become a general. But there was something special about Naaman that he had reached this high rank and he showed some kind of respect to people that caused them to reciprocate. So this young Israeli girl who's now held captive and enslaved and has no hope for her freedom, she advises Naaman's wife, there is a prophet in Israel who could help your husband. Now, I'm trying to imagine what that could be compared to. Imagine an Israeli taken captive by Hamas. And while in captivity, sees this, one of the captors is suffering and says to the captor, you know, we've got a rabbi back in Israel who could pray for you and you'd be healed. That probably wouldn't go over so well. But in Naaman's case, he was desperate. And he was open, and so he responds. He, he goes and he tells his master. Who is the master of Naaman? Tell me. The king of Syria. Because Naaman is a general over the army. And I love what the scripture says here. He goes to the king and he says, thus and thus said the girl is from the land of Israel. Thus and thus, whatever. And then the king of Syria says, Go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. Now I tried to compare that. It's, it's sort of like Obama, Putin, the prime minister of Ukraine, all figuring out how they're going to help Putin right now in the midst of a conflict. 
The king of Syria says, go now, I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he departed and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. I don't know if any of you is good in math or in um, changing ancient values into current values, but if you could figure out in the next few minutes how much that's worth, I'd like to know. I'm not sure, but I can tell you this. If somebody offered me 6,000 gold coins, whatever the size, I would think it's a lot. How about you? 10 talents as well, 10 changes of clothes. Verse six, and he brought the letter, then Naaman brought the letter to the king of Israel. So the general of Syria, which has been attacking Israel, comes to meet the king of Israel with all this money, trying to buy a favor in a sense saying, would you help connect me with the prophet? He brings the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised when this letter comes to you that I've sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. So this is his demand. This is Putin sending something to you know, the, the leader of Ukraine. You better do this now. And here's a little money for your troubles. Now I want you to think about the people who have actually been used so far to make a difference. Think about that, that slave girl, the, Isra- the Israeli woman, young, young woman. She made a difference because she got it in her mind and in her heart that God would bless by healing her master, Nama. If she hadn't done that, nothing would have happened. It was her idea, and that idea came from the Lord. So Naaman was blessed because this captive young girl from Israel did her part. Naaman's wife also had to do her part. The captive young girl, we don't even know her name. She goes to the wife and tells her, there is a prophet who could heal. And she takes that seriously. Something stirs in her and she goes to her husband. And then the king of Syria does his part. He writes a letter of introduction and request and he sends some kind of financial help as well. Now let's go to verse seven. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter from the king of Syria that he tore his clothes. Do you know what that means? That's how you mourn. It's a way of expressing agony, ripping the clothes and saying, you know, woe be unto me. All is lost. And he says, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? The actual word was, I'm sending him to you so that the prophet could heal. But the king is so focused on himself and he's so caught up in the the natural affairs that he's responsible for that he thinks this is just a provocation. The king is sending this general to me and I'm not gonna be able to do the right thing. And so now Syria is gonna be even more ticked off. They're gonna have more reasons to come and to invade Israel, to take more people, more land, more of our stuff. And this is his final comment, the king's final comment. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. That's his interpretation. And from that, we understand something. 
regarding what God wants to do, the king of Israel is useless at this part. He doesn't do his part. God worked anyway, verse eight. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Why are you in mourning? Why are you feeling so much pressure and so much trouble? Please let him come to me. So that tells us something else. Elisha has, he has eyes and ears in the palace and he knows what's going on. He's not intimidated. He's not reading the situation the way the king is. Why? He understands what God wants to do. He's got a different heart and a different intention. Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Elisha is alert and he's ready. Verse nine, then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to the door to him. This is not protocol, as you'll see. This general of Syria, this mighty man, comes to the house of the prophet, and the prophet, who's ready to receive him, doesn't even come to greet him and answer the door. It's an insult. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you shall be clean. Verse 11, but Naaman became furious and he went away and he said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to meet me. Surely I've come this far and I am the general of Syria. Surely he'll come out to meet me. But the prophet didn't. Surely he'll come out to meet me. He'll stand. He'll call on the name of the Lord. Then I love this part. And he'll wave his hands over the place and heal the leprosy. You know, so I, I'm trying to imagine Naaman's point of view. He's thinking, okay, this is the way prophets work. They come over, they say mumbo jumbo, shazam, or something like that. Wave their hands a certain way. And then there's healing. So Naaman's, he's, he's enraged. Why didn't he do that? He didn't come to the door. He didn't wave his hands. He didn't say the magic words. It goes on. Are not the Abana and the Fardapar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? This is a dump. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. Verse 13 gives us an idea that those who were with him, those who served him, had great respect for him and loved him. Look at the way that they approach. His servants come near and they speak to him and say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, and I think that means really difficult, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. So now we see others who had a part in this, the servants of Naaman. Had they kept silent, 
he would have continued in his rage and in his fury. And he, who knows what he would have done. He may have been so ticked off that he goes back to Syria, the angry leopard who's now mad at everybody in Israel and decides to launch another campaign of some sort to conquer. But the servants humbly approach him and speak right to his heart in a way that he responds to. So verse 14, so he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan. That word dipped is from the same root that we get to villa. He immersed himself. To dip is to immerse. It's to completely put underwater. He dipped seven times in the Jordan, that good for nothing river. According to the words of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now we see that Naaman himself had to exercise faith. He had to be obedient to what he was told to do. Everyone has to do that. Our faithful obedience to God is so important, but you know what? Sometimes we can't get to that place of faith on our own. And we need others to help us get there. I'm so grateful for the people who, who gave care to my grandmother Rose during this last year. She just died last week, 104 years old. Now when she was 99, we had a celebration. We had a birthday party, her 100th birthday party because none of us, including her, thought she was gonna make it to 100. And so we had an early birthday party to celebrate and the whole family from all over came and we celebrated her 100th birthday when she was 99. And at that point, she told us she'd live too long. She was thinking, you know, 90 was long. 99 is really long. And so we're all thinking, why is she living so long? Some of you have had the experience of being with the elderly when they're approaching death, and it's not unusual for people, whether they're old or not, if they're facing a life-threatening situation, to know whether their time is up or not. And so I, I always ask people, do you feel like this is the end for you? It's not surprising that those that do will say, actually, I do feel it, and I'm ready. Her situation was a little different. She wanted it to be the end, but it wasn't. And so she made it to her 100th birthday, and I know we had some conversations, well, maybe we should have waited for the party. But you never know. And then she kept going, 101, 102. And then when she was 103, it was during that time period that the doctors were saying she's not going to last more than a few days. Hospice said it, it's really close, so if you want to come before she dies, now's the time to come. And Sandy, who's a great statistician, looked at the, looked at the calendars and she said to me when we were up at the funeral, do you know that Grandma Rose lived 386 days after hospice said she had just a few more to go? 386 days. And what happened in those 386 days? It's, 
there would have been no way for me to fully understand except when we went for the funeral on Thursday night, my uncle told me something. And my uncle has always defined himself as a scientist and explained that you cannot prove God and therefore God doesn't exist. And as a scientist, since you can't prove God, he clearly doesn't exist. So this has been his position as long as I've known him. But I sat down to talk with him on Thursday night. And the first thing he wanted to tell me was that, that he and his grandson, both of them separately, were pursuing something, and that is how creation by God and well, how creation and God fit together. And so he's now thinking how there is a God and there can be a creation. And for him, this isn't taking one step forward. This is, he's in a whole new universe thinking like this. The very next thing that he wanted to tell me was, was this, that all of the people who took care of my grandmother, the hospice and the, um, the nursing people who came to take care of her, every one of them were believers. And he said it in so many different ways. And every one of them came from Africa and immigrated to the United States and then became either hospice workers or nurses. And each of them then was assigned to her. And somehow this happened and I was thinking, isn't that utterly amazing? how God can use people. It's clear to me that they prayed with her, they prayed for her, they talked about faith. Because of the conversations that my uncle relayed to me, I understand that they were, they were gentle and open regarding faith. And this is what I understand. God gave all the time my grandmother needed to get things sorted out. And he surrounded her for more than a year with all these believers who ministered to her, not just physically, but spiritually, I know. Because I know they were praying for her and praying for my uncle and my aunt. And they were sharing their faith in a way I couldn't. Because had I been the one who tried to do it, it would have been resistance. But God knew how to use just the right people to do their part. This morning I was thinking, do you know how hard it was to get all those people in the right place at the right time? To get their agreement, their cooperation. You know, someone in Africa thinking, maybe I should move to the United States. You don't just decide to do that. The government here has to agree for you to come. And then to, to end up in just the right location with just the right agencies and, and be assigned and have just the right skill. Do you understand that God orchestrated all of that? I do. Those things don't happen accidentally. They happen because God's at work. And I believe those things were able to happen because many people prayed for my grandmother. And I'm thankful, as Sandy expressed earlier, I'm thankful to you who prayed for her during this year. And maybe some of you just said, Lord, send someone to help her. Send someone to minister to her. Send someone to show her 
the love of Messiah. And I can tell you this, those prayers were answered. And it made such a difference. You see, for Naaman, it took many people doing their part. And none of them did the whole thing. Even the prophet of Israel, Elisha, didn't do the whole thing. He did his part. He didn't have the power in himself to heal. God retains that power. Oh, the prophet could wave his hands. Mumbo jumbo. That doesn't mean anything's going to happen. Unless God heals, no one gets healed in these situations. But everyone did their part, and Naaman the leper was healed. Now, who do you think most wanted him healed? I think it was the Lord. Because the Lord was the one who had to put all those people together to make it possible. Going back to 2 Kings 5, verse 15. So Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all of his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except the God of Israel. Now I know. Now I know. Now here's what's interesting. Elisha didn't tell him that. He understood it. He understood it himself. And if you read on, you'll see something that's most amazing. The, the, this former leper says to Elisha, I got one problem though. I'm never going to worship another God, but I serve a king who does. And so, God, please forgive me when I go into the temple of that false God with my king and give him support and I stand there with him because I'm just trying to be faithful to the king, but I'm really faithful to you. Now, here's what I want you to think about. If you didn't know these details that are revealed here in the scriptures and you just looked at Naaman, what you'd think is, here's a bad guy who hated Israel and then he was healed in Israel and he forgot everything and later on, he's just the same old guy worshiping false gods together with his king. But that's not the whole story. You see, you can't just look at people's outward behavior to understand what's going on on the inside. And Naaman understood that. That's why he's telling Elisha, listen, I'm gonna be physically doing something that shouldn't be misinterpreted. My allegiance now is fully to God, the God of Israel. Perfectly clear about that. Sometimes you want people to look right, and they don't look right, but they are right. We've gotta have grace in such matters. Well, this is a really good picture for us because it shows us that a lot of people have a role to play in every healing and every act of mercy for someone. That is how God works. And I want to close with a, a wonderful scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 9. It says, God has not destined us for wrath. That's really important to understand. We're not destined for wrath. 
God has not destined us for destruction, but his, his destiny, what he wants to give to us, is salvation. When I was a young Jewish lad growing up in Roanoke, Virginia in the 50s and 60s, I heard from a lot of, a lot of Christian kids my age what I call the bad news. It went like this, you're a Jew, that's part of the bad news. You killed Christ, you're going to hell. That's, those are the most critical details. I usually heard this at Easter time and Christmas time. Two favorite times of the year to torture little Jewish boys all over the world, at least verbally. And it never provoked me to jealousy, it just provoked me. And then someone, when I was 21 years old, shared with me the good news. The good news goes something like this. The God of Abraham is alive. And he's faithful to the Jewish people. And he loves us. And this came from a Gentile Christian who believed in Jesus. And so I understood what that meant. Oh my gosh, Jesus is involved in this thing. Who knew? And my heart was open to the God of Israel from a Jesus-believing Gentile Christian who had the, the heart to tell me the good news. First Thessalonians is built on that same idea. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we will live together with him. What does he want for us that we would live? To live with him, to experience the joy of salvation, to experience the full measure of it. Whether you are living now, or you die and then you have to deal with eternal life issues, he wants that you would live with him. Verse 11 brings it back to the human level. Therefore, for that reason, encourage each other and build each other up just as you also are doing. Because this is the will of God, encourage each other. You need encouragement. I hope that today you'll take from the, the life of Naaman and the way different people did their parts and you'll take from the experience we had with my grandmother and in so many other experiences, and you'll say, I've got a part to play. There's something for me to do. Maybe it's great, maybe it's difficult, maybe it's not, maybe it's small. Who got everything started for Naaman? It was a little Jewish girl. She had no power. She had no authority but she understood that the way that Naaman was looking at the world was not quite right. It was too small. And that there was something big that he was leaving out and that was the God of Israel. Who thinks a Syrian general who's attacking Israel is gonna be open to that message? A little Jewish girl. 
who understood the calling of the Jewish people, is to bring the good news to the whole world. To bring light to the nations, even the enemies of Israel. Is it easy to do? When I was reading this story this week, I was conflicted. Because I think of the modern enemies of Israel and how I pray and how I think and how I feel. And I understand that God is bigger than my feelings. He's bigger than politics. There are times when God will use you to bless someone who's not your friend. But you can make a difference. That's why Yeshua said, don't just bless your friends. Anybody can do that. Bless your enemies too. Bless those who are in opposition to you and call down from heaven the blessings that can transform everything. I hope some of you will say, Lord, use me. I hope some of you will find yourself this week in situations where you point someone in the right direction. And it's up to you. And if you don't do the pointing, the pointing will not get done. You don't have to do anything else other than point them in the right direction. God can use you if you do your part. That's all it takes. You don't have to define the part. You just have to accept the assignment that God gives to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that it is your plan to save to rescue, to deliver, to heal, to reconcile, to forgive. And you have made it possible for anyone to come to you because of Yeshua. Use us, Lord. Use us to be a blessing to others. Use us to do our part that we might have a share in your kingdom. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And as you're standing, I want to ask you to pray with me for two people. I want this to be on the podcast because I want people all over the world to join us in prayer. One person is James Simpkins, who is the brother of Tanya Siegler. And he has an infection that the doctors have not been able to understand and they don't know how to cure it. And it is uh, especially difficult because he needs a heart transplant. And he's in ICU in the DC area. They're trying to deal with this infection so that they can do all the things necessary for him. And we wanna pray for James, for his healing. And the other one is Christian Snell, a friend of ours, who is uh, about 50 years old. And she has five children, I believe. And she has a brain tumor. The doctor's treatment has, has not been successful. And at this point, she, it's hard for her to be awake and it's hard for her to, to even eat or drink anything. And so we wanna pray for her that not a day would be taken from her. She's a believer, her husband's a believer, but, but we, would, we would dare to ask God for a miracle for her. So please join me. Lord, we lift up to you James 
and we pray for his healing. We pray for the healing of that infection. We pray that by any means you would deliver him. And we lift up Christian to you and we pray for her life, for her healing. We pray for these days. We pray for her parents, for the in-laws, and for the children, for her husband. And we pray, God, that you would pour out mercy. We're at your mercy, Lord. And we ask that life would not be taken from her prematurely, that she could live all the days you've appointed for her. And we dare to ask, Lord, for a miracle of healing for her. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. And the Lord protect our friend Aaron Jacobs overseas. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.